Hello and welcome to Audible River. I'm Alan Rice, and I am very happy to have with me Reagan Carruthers, founder of ASET, a spiritual enrichment center in Washington, Missouri. Reagan is a spiritual mentor, inner life coach, RYT 200 trauma-informed yoga instructor, and published author. For many years, Reagan led retreats and programs for the Institute of Heart Math in Boulder Creek, California. Hello, Reagan. It's great to have you with me today. Thanks, Alan. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> well, to start with, I would like to um, hear a little bit about the uh, Asset Yoga Center. Tell me uh, what you do there. Oh, sure. So um, it'll be two years in March that I returned uh, to the St. Louis area. Um, from Santa Cruz, California, where I had lived for about 25 years, uh, just literally listening to my heart and following its guidance, um, which told me I needed to move home. Now, Washington isn't home, but it's about an hour outside of St. Louis. And on my 10-acre estate was this 2,800-square-foot garage slash man cave that the <laughs> former owner had with concrete floors and metal walls. It smelled a little like cigars. There was a disco ball <laughs> on the ceiling, um, a huge like sectional and pool table and gaming system. And he supposedly had epic parties in, in this building. And um, when I heeded my inner guidance to move home, part of the vision that I was given was to bring my spiritual teaching to this community specifically in Washington of all places. Oh. And I had never been here before, but um, I've learned to sort of be obedient to that inner voice. And so um, this is a place where I offer yoga as an act of service. I don't charge my community uh, for yoga and I provide that twice a week. And then people come, they learn heart math from me, either in small groups or one-on-one. -on -one. I have private yoga clients that come to me with specific, you know, issues that they want my help in addressing. Mm -hmm. And I also provide one-on-one -on -one inner life coaching, which is really helping people learn meditation, how to create discipline in their inner life, and how to really quiet the noise within so that they can hear the call of um, their inner knowing. Wow. Speaking of call, that, that must have been quite a calling that you responded to, to, uh, to begin doing all this work in, near the place where you, this is where you're from, you say? Or were you born there? Yeah. Yeah. I was born in St. Louis uh -huh. and I lived uh, in St. Louis until 99. And, and that's when I moved uh, to Boulder Creek to work at HeartMath. Mm, and I mm -hmm. was there um, for about 25 years. And then in uh, working on uh, my latest writing project, a book that I'm calling Tragic Magic, I was in Joshua Tree. This was during the COVID lockdowns. Uh -huh. And I really needed space. Um, there was really no privacy. We didn't have a pandemic ready <laughs> home. <laughs> uh -huh. um, you know, my husband was like working in the living room. Anyway, so um, I went to Joshua Tree to get some writing done. Mm -hmm. And before I write, I always meditate and pray. And um, this particular day in meditation, this trusted voice said, you need to urgently move home. Wow. And it didn't give me any more information. And um, so I literally came out of meditation 
called a dear friend who had just changed careers to become a realtor in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, Andrea, I know it sounds dramatic, but um, my inner guidance says I need to move home urgently. And I do what I'm told. So I plan on flying out of Palm Springs in the morning, and I'm hoping you can work with me and um, help me find where God wants me to be. And she said, of course. (laughs) So I flew out of Palm Springs that morning, called my husband. Uh, Bear in mind, three years before this, I apparently, I don't remember having said this, told my husband that we would be retiring to Washington, Missouri, literally a place I'd never been so clearly I wasn't the one saying that. I see. And then when my friend Andrea um, was helping me find a place and we were looking in St. Louis and nothing felt resonant. And I didn't remember having said that to my husband and he didn't remind me either that I had said that. And um, I, you know, nothing felt resonant. And I said to Andrea, why don't we expand the search to include Franklin County? Well, if you knew me, you would know that I have no idea what that means. Again, <laughs> okay. it was it was my guidance speaking for me. My mouth moves and I'm not necessarily doing the talking. I know it sounds a little crazy, but it's the truth. And um, we went on the MLS and I saw the home. Um, I saw this, you know, 2,800 square foot building. I have 10 acres here, but nothing in the description said that it had its own water. And being in a drought, as you know, in California, I really wanted my own water. But there was nothing in the description about that. And I said to Andrea, well, let's go see it anyway, because it's really a compelling property. It checks a lot of the other boxes. So we get here the following morning, and Dale, the owner, comes up the expansive driveway in the golf cart with a huge smile on his face. I say nothing, not even hello. I don't even think I've waved. And he looks at me and goes, oh, young lady, I should let you know we have a geothermal well here. Oh, wow. That uh, sounds phenomenal. I mean, is that... I mean... <laughs> so I said to him, that's terrific. Um, and I knew in that moment that this is where God wanted me to be. Well, so. Reagan, so the, following this inner guidance, is this something that you've done all of your life? Or is it something you developed over time? Um, yes and yes. Okay. Um, so I had just the, I don't know what the word is, privilege, I guess, of attending a school beginning at the age of three, where we meditated every day. And we did Tai Chi for Jim. And we photographed our energy fields with Carillion film. What awesome. What school was this? It's called Forsyth School. It still exists in St. Louis. Okay. Though I must say they're not um, honest about um, its history because it was really in a lot of ways a mystery school with very strong academics. I mean, I learned Latin and French and algebra and read Shakespeare. Um, And the school, there was no grading or grade level. Everything was just customized to you. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's where, you know, my inner life, I think, um, began, or at least the school didn't get in the way. Yeah, right? some, I mean, we all have the same, we're all built the same. Um, but most of what we can do gets enculturated out of us. I, I'll agree with that. I mean, because for me, I have a little bit of a different story. I mean, when you're talking about that, oh, that's amazing. I wish I had that experience because when I was, I, I learned to meditate in, in high school, and this is back in the 70s. And, um, 
I got sent to the office for meditating in the uh, art supply room. I'd be like, you're not supposed to be in here, but I'm meditating. And uh, so it was wonderful to hear that you actually got, I mean, more than supported, it was like you were offered uh, a real environment to flourish with this, uh, the whole idea of meditating and having this other uh, kind of awareness about life itself. So that's, that's, I think that that's, to me, it sounds like a rare experience. And uh, I, I really appreciate hearing about that. Yeah, it was beautiful. And I credit my mother. Um, you know, she was a clairvoyant. And certainly, she was born in 33, not a great time to be her. Oh, um, yeah. And um, it was her inner guidance that led her to enroll me there. And Maxwell Maltz, who wrote Psycho Cybernetics, if you're familiar with that book, that kind yeah. of birthed the positive psychology movement in the early late 60s, uh, early 70s, and he was on the board of the school. So a lot of um, his research and thinking was informed in the pedagogy, you know, that the story you tell yourself really ends up being your experience of self. You know, I'm going through um, an experience now, you know, I'm in my 60s, and I am doing some deep work myself of retelling my story to myself because of exactly what you're saying. I'm just I'm realizing at this point how much of my life experience has been boxed inside of the story that I told myself about what my life is. Um, and that's I'm you know it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm realizing right now how very important that is to all of us. Absolutely. And we don't realize um, that we're programmed, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we don't, most of us uh, don't do the inner work to really assess, are our beliefs ours? Or are they beliefs that were imprinted on us, right? And so to have the, um, you know, the discipline and um, really the earnestness to, to go inside and do some inventory and make some decisions about really what resonates and what doesn't and to begin to build sovereignty. Um, it's funny, you know, when I was 27 and pregnant with my first child, so this was, yeah, literally 30 years ago, I went to see the founder of, of Forsyth School. And she retired to Florida, and she was a chain-smoking, whiskey-drinking mystic. (laughs) (laughs) She just was, with with a PhD. And um, anyway, it was a phenomenal trip. But one of the questions I asked her was what she hoped the lasting legacy of our education was. And she said, without hesitating, I wanted you to know that every thought and feeling you have is your choice. Wow. That's so powerful and simple. Exactly. Wow. And when yeah, she said that, what, how did you feel when you, when she said that at that moment? What? Well, I, 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 I had lived the truth of it. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I grew up with a lot of trauma in my household. Mm-hmm. And as I sort of detail in this book, Tragic Magic, um, which is not yet out, um, I don't know who, who I would be or where I would be if I hadn't had Mary Dunbar as my teacher and mentor so young, because it did foster even then when things were so nuts in my house, 
some semblance of sovereignty or capacity to be okay. Because I knew I was divine. Mm -hmm. I knew I was eternal. I knew that at least when I was little, that God had my back. And then, you know, in my, you know, pursuit to adapt and fit in once I, you know, left that magical school and found myself in public school, Mm -hmm. I literally forgot all about it. It literally wasn't in my conscious working memory from the time that I began public education in the eighth grade until I was 27 and had a dramatic spiritual awakening where all of it came back. Um, Wow. That's, you know, well, you know, we go through these different stages in, in life, all of us do, that uh, keep us on the path. But it, you sound like one of those um, rare individuals that I run into that was kind of what I called the born knowing, uh, that you, you, knew, you knew that you were connected when you were very small. You knew that there was something bigger that you were part of, it sounds like. Uh, and Absolutely. Well, that's, you know, again, you know, that's a, that's a blessed blessed thing to uh, to have experience. You know, I, one thing that I really wanted to talk to you about is um, yeah, the, the heart math, because I understand that this is a, this is heart math is something that's science based, but it's been, you know, what I what I've seen about it is pretty phenomenal. What? Yeah, start telling me about what heart math is. Well, I think it's really ancient wisdom. Okay. Packaged uh for the western mind so i think doc Childre, the founder was very very wise in um finding a way scientifically to prove the efficacy of love and gratitude and to prove just the impact that different emotional states have on how the heart behaves and how the interrelationship between emotion, how the heart behaves, also then impacts your biochemistry, your capacity to, to think in a higher you know, order, um, as well as you know, the physiological consequences of stress, mm. right? When you're emotionally triggered, most people don't know what to do. Right. It's like a, you get, yeah, it's a, it can be a feeling of lost, actually, or just kind of dissociated, right? Yeah, can or be. anger. Anger, you know, right. None of those emotional states that we associate with stress, not that, you know, it's not about good or bad. It's just, again, having enough capacity to choose. Mm-hmm. Like when you get triggered and you're responding in anger, are you conscious that that's what you're doing? And are you sure you want to? Right. Right. So having that sovereignty. And so Doc, um, with a bunch of really smart, um, noble people, created a body of research around, okay, how does the how does emotion impact the heart and why does it matter? Right. Mm -hmm. And then created um techniques, which he also proved in a lab the efficacy for. And then as a, as a final thing, created technology so that you could see in real time your heart rate variability. So, you know, every time your heart beats, it beats at a different rate. Mm-hmm. You look at that over time, that's your heart rhythm. Well, the quality of that heart rhythm, how much variability you have 
um, in the beat to beat change in rate matters a lot. Oh, it does. Oh, it absolutely does. So, you know, think about heart rate variability. If you have a lot of variability, that means you have a lot of flexibility in your heart. You can run up a hill okay. and then sit and then the heart physically can adapt, right? Very quickly. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, when you feel sincere love and gratitude and you feel that while also doing heart-centered breathing, that's where the magic happens. Oh. And you create in the rhythm of the heart this beautiful sine wave kind of pattern, like just these rolling hills. Okay. Contrasted with if you're stressed out, your heart rhythm kind of looks like an earthquake, right? It's very, <laughs> okay. it's very jagged. And what people don't understand through the vagus nerve and other afferent nerves, your heart and your brain are connected. How? And the heart actually sends more information to the brain than vice versa. So it's why when you're angry, you end up saying something stupid because literally you can't access the higher reasoning centers of the brain in that state. I see. And so, yet when we're stressed out, we, we want to problem solve, right? But yeah. we don't have the physiology in that moment to actually do that. And so heart math teaches you how. Um, and it also improves and expands your intuitive capacity because what you're learning is how to create physiological coherence within you and coherence between the heart and the brain, not only is where the magic happens physiologically, but also frankly, spiritually and intuitively, it's like you're creating the inner conditions to really be able to hear your unseen support. Wow. So coherence, can you uh, define that a little bit more in, in this instance, what, what, it, what, what you're talking about, what it feels like? Well, I think we probably have all had an experience of what it feels like. So think of a peak moment. Maybe you had an awe-inspiring moment in nature or you held a newborn baby, your, you know, your grandchild or your own child in your arms. You feel so much love. Mm -hmm. There's a coherence, a sense of um, not just all rightness, but clear headedness, right? Um, expansive creativity. Uh, yeah. So coherence is where you're able through that emotion of love and gratitude to send a very coherent rhythm, right? Cause the heart is electrical. Okay. And it's also an oscillating system, right? It's rhythmic. So those emotional states of love and gratitude create coherence in how the heart is behaving and that coherence then gets communicated again up the vagus nerve to the brain then creating coherence and how the mind the brain is behaving right wow uh, i mean i'm sure somebody could explain it better like from a scientific perspective but that's really what it is oh. it's 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 creating um this ease and this equanimity in the rhythm of the heart which then gets communicated to every everywhere else, all your three tr trillion cells up to your brain. You know, like think about when you're really stressed out, a few minutes later, your stomach hurts mm -hmm. or your head hurts because those different 
oscillating systems and, and neurological systems, right? We got neurons, not just in our, in our head sync up to the heart because the heart is the most powerful part of the body. Yeah. So again, if you create coherence in the heart, all the other organ systems in train or get in sync with that. So that's really what coherence is. Wow. Okay. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. You know what, it, <laughs> what, what it reminds me of, um, I, I studied a little bit with uh, some teachers from the high Andes who uh, passed on traditions from the ancient Inca. Uh, it, these are the, you know, the Carol people who um, uh, live in Peru they have a word in Quechua, and I think it's a you know Quechua word, uh, munai, that in general it means love. But the way that they explain it or they use it, it it is love with divine will. It's like a mm. blending, and and in their uh, mystical healing practices, that this munai is the most powerful energy that you that you can generate for healing and helping other people. So this sounds. So much like that teaching, and you referenced earlier that you know uh, what Dr. Childer was doing is probably just bringing ancient wisdom into a, into a modern interpretation through research and uh, technology. Um, so there are techniques, uh, I guess, that's developed you know through the HeartMath Institute for um, you know, promoting this uh, state of coherence, or you know, keeping people focused on um, understanding their emotional state. You want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, you know, I don't work at HeartMath mm -hmm. anymore, um, but they are so devoted to helping humanity access the intelligence of the heart and, and, and create this coherence within them. And they do it a lot of different ways. They publish books. They have technology that they've developed. You can actually download for free the HeartMath app. Even if you don't buy the sensor, which actually takes your pulse and equates it into heart rate variability, that costs money. Uh -huh. But the app itself has so much information. You can learn all the techniques through the app. Um, I don't, they do the global coherence initiative where they're trying to show the relationship between the earth's magnetic field and your own electromagnetic field, right? Because every time the heart beats, it generates an electrical wave of energy so you're constantly broadcasting something oh, that's, that's very <laughs> so interesting. they you know and they do retreats and public programs um they work with large organizations um people can become certified in heart math as therapists or you know managers at work to bring um and to facilitate the heart math method to the populations that they serve. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of ways um, that heart math is supporting humanity at this time. So going back to um, the fact that the heart, as you were saying, is, a, is like the most powerful organ in the body. And it's like there's a huge electromagnetic uh, field generated out of the heart. So immediately I'm thinking about you know, when you're with a group of people, you're you're with a whole bunch of generators, uh, and and you've got these signals that are that are being emanated. And uh, so, does is there an understanding in the heart math system about how we're affecting each other with uh, with this? You know, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, in fact, one of the studies I remember, and this is going back a long way, 
Josh, who's now, I don't know how old he is. He's probably in his 40s, but he was a little boy at the time that I knew him and he loved his dog, Mabel. And they did a research study with Josh and his dog. Josh came into coherence. Mabel was at his side and they were looking at Mabel's heart rate variability. And through Josh's coherence, he was able to affect Mabel and get Mabel into coherence. Right. I mean, just like mothers in train Mm -hmm. with their with their babies, Um, you can see entrainment in flocks of birds or schools of fish. I mean, we're in each other's fields all the time. I used to joke because when I worked at HeartMath, I worked with um, business people. I would go into major corporations um, and, and teach them this and excuse my French, but I would say, okay, how many of you? have been sitting in a conference room waiting for a meeting to start, nothing's being said, and you know it's going to be a shitty meeting. (laughs) Yes, you just feel it. You you feel it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So you can not only impact that collective field by your own coherence, conversely, you're also, you can be really impacted by somebody else's dysregulation. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have real time experiences of that. You know, being with a spouse who's, you know, having a terrible day, and I don't know, acting out from that place, you're with that long enough. And, you know, come an hour or two later, you feel like crap. Right. But what if you, uh, is there, is there, in this training, uh, or like uh, in your experience, um, okay, I'm going to go back to the story about Josh, who uh, was able to get his dog into coherence with him. So are we, do you, do you think that, can we act like tuning forks when we, if we get ourselves into coherence that we can help to calm people around us? Or is, does that work? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it takes real disciplined effort, right? Because you're having to hold and sustain that coherence Mm -hmm. in a discordant field perhaps right Right. but it certainly can be done everything's energy so yeah your coherent energy can definitely and i have real-time experiences of that um i mean i I can share one if, if you'd like it's it's not scientific but it was incredibly powerful yeah but yeah please do okay so um My mom, while she was uh, really a magical being, she also really suffered. And she diagnosed herself in 1961 with manic depression. And it wasn't really even in the clinical vernacular at that time. She like literally like took it out of the air. Anyway, so she, particularly as she aged um, and the accumulation of her traumas and um, just, you know, built up, she, she could really rage and really get dysregulated. And she was in my living room. This was, I don't know, I think this was the same year that I awakened and began um, studying heart math. And I began, I was a certified trainer, I think by that time, and dedicated to the work. And she was in my living room, and she was just doing her thing, just raging at me. I don't remember what she was saying. It really doesn't matter. And as she did, I literally just broadcast the most coherence I could muster, such unconditional love for her, Mm -hmm. such deep compassion for whatever was 
going on in her system. Just nothing but love. And <laughs> she abruptly stopped talking, which if you knew my mother, that's a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> and she said, honey, you're either on some kind of drug You've just had an orgasm, or this heart stuff you've been talking about is really working. <laughs> she, could, she could feel it, right? And in that moment of such intense dysregulation, uh -huh. what she needed was love. And upon receiving that from me, she could quiet. That's amazing. That really, you know, it, it really speaks to the fact that as human beings, you know, are that, that, I think that on a soul level, that we that we are hungry for love. I mean, we want to know love, feel love, live in love. I mean, it's just, and that by you generating that, your your mother felt it without no words said, as you were, you know, as, the way you told the story. It was just through the emotions that that you were that you were feeling that your mom picked up on. But it was more than that because you. You were concentrating on being in this state in spite of what your mother was projecting, and then it changed um, the the atmosphere around you. You know, I hear stories like this. You know, uh, you know, people uh, talk about spiritual masters being in their presence. It was like such a loving presence. But I, I think that you know, it's wonderful to imagine that all of us can do this with each other. You know, that's the thing that interests me. That's the thing that. That you know you, that there's a possibility that we can train ourselves to 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 bring peace and love into a situation, and and to have it for ourselves. I mean that that to me is that's what's exciting about learning about all of these kind of things. Yeah, that's where the hope is. I mean, after my awakening, I mean literally, just after I awakened, I wanted to reach my mother. Couldn't. I was in California at a meeting, at a business meeting, anyway, when this happened. And the only person I was able to reach was my stepfather, who had been basically the source of most of my trauma. He was violent. Um, he did unspeakable things. And as I reached him, I communicated to him my unconditional love. And it was not just the words. I mean, that was my sincerest feeling for him. Like I had such insight and compassion into who he was and why he was what he was. And I said, you know, I have no, I feel nothing but love for you. I am offering you my absolute complete forgiveness. Wow. And I said to him, I said, you know, the only reason we're here, the only reason we exist at all is to learn how to love in this dimension, which is quite complicated to do that. Right. I'll agree. And, um, he said, he paused, and then I kind of heard the phone like scuffle around, and it comes back, I don't know, a few seconds later. And he said, well, Blonde Beauty, I don't have an explanation for this, but a golden eagle just landed on the crabapple tree in the backyard. Wow. This is in St. Louis. Um, <laughs> anyway, and the phone scuffles again. He comes back a few seconds later. He goes, Reagan, I don't know what is happening, but there's now a red fox at the base of this tree looking up at the eagle. He's com He has Comanche bloodlines. And as you know, the eagle oh, is right. in the indigenous tradition, the closest to the divine, right? Right. right. And the red fox is a is considered a noble messenger. Wow. From that moment, this was 30 years ago. This is in 94. So yeah, 30 years ago. 
he's completely different. He is gentle. He is kind. He is nonviolent. And that change happened that moment over the phone. That energy got trans, you know, <laughs> he was transmuted. He was changed through the energetics of what I was embodying and whatever else was going on. Um, and he's, he's forever changed. So it can work. <laughs> it can, you know, I, I think I just kind of glided past the fact that you mentioned your awakening mm. that, that can you talk a little bit more about that? How, what it, what, what happened in that, in that time, what you were before and after what was, what was, what, what, what do you mean by awakening? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. So when I was little, um, I could hear what other people were thinking. I could see things that other people couldn't. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean they didn't have capacity to, but didn't. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I knew my mother was certainly different than most humans and that I had inherited some of that. Um, but these entities, for lack of a better word, that I would see as a kid really scared me. Oh. Uh, I mean, I was pretty overwhelmed. My sensory system was pretty overwhelmed, even though I felt the presence of the divine and, and knew what that was because it was named at my school. Mm -hmm. uh, the, these entities scared me. And uh, one Saturday afternoon, I was dancing and doing gymnastics in the basement. And um, I saw this entity and it was sitting on top of my washing machine and like this fiery throne. You know, it sounds nuts, but it's the God honest truth. <laughs> okay. And, and it, and it scared me to death. And I ran up the basement steps and I was screaming, I want this. I need this all to stop. Wow. And it did. I was nine years old. Because you, because you commanded it. So I commanded it. Okay, yeah. I was nine. Wow. Fast forward. I'm now 27. I'm a junior executive in the publishing industry. I'm working for an incredibly dysfunctional company. I have access to the company presidents. I'm in this very sort of strategic role, seeing really bad behavior. I'm like sexually harassed. I mean, it just, it was wow. like something out of a bad movie. And then uh, at this national sales meeting, I learned that one of my mentors was fired without cause. And then another mentor confides in me that she'd been raped. Oh, gosh. And I am like losing it. And I'm feeling kind of manic. And I remember thinking to myself at this meeting, is this how mom feels? Like you see, you witness one too many unjust acts. Uh -huh. <laughs> and this is what, is what happens. And my best friend was coming um, to the meeting to my suite in San Francisco because mm -hmm. she was interviewing to be a chef with Nancy Oaks at Boulevard. I said, oh, stay with me. I'll take care of you. Keep in mind, I'm not prayerful. I have no spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that corporate ascension is going to lead to safety. I'm not very conscious. I'm not a bad person. I'm not, I mean, I'm kind and hardworking. But all of my past was not operating consciously within me. Mm -hmm. She comes to my suite mid-meeting with the book Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. Oh. My, my favorite book, by the way. And I open it up and it's like Christ consciousness, this and that. And I'm just like smoking a cigarette and down in a shot of vodka. And I look <laughs> at her and I said, Heidi, I love you, but I don't have time for this. 
And off I went to lead my next session with all of, you know, these people that I really perceived to be, you know, doing terrible things. And they were. Wow. She then one night goes off to, you know, socialize in the city. I'm like, Heidi, I'm exhausted. All I need is a decent night's sleep. Mm-hmm. And I go to bed. Again, I'm not prayerful. I'm not grateful. I'm scared. I'm stressed. And I go to sleep. And about, I don't know what time it was, I think about 1 a.m., I wake up and I feel terror in my in my system. The same kind of terror I used to feel as a child. And I know someone's in my room. My eyes are still closed. I haven't opened them yet, but I know someone's in my room. Wow. I open my eyes and there's that same entity that used to, I don't know, harass me for lack of a better word, standing at the end of my bed. And I looked at him and I said, it's you. Oh, it's you. It's only you. I'm not afraid of you. And I went back to sleep. When I woke up that next morning, all I could feel was unconditional love for everyone and everything. I felt like I had complete connection to God. Um, I woke up completely different. And how I felt, frankly, was how I used to feel as a kid. In those moments when those entities weren't, you know, around, I mean, how I felt in my school or in my meditation practice at school, just kind of what my natural state was as a child. Um, And again, all I wanted to do was communicate home to my mom and I couldn't find her. And the only person I could find was my stepdad. And that was all uh, divine will. And he's now changed and I changed too. You know, I conceived my, my son. Um, when I got back to St. Louis with my husband, I knew literally in the moment when he his spirit came into me and I greeted him. Wow. <laughs> and I started working for, I, I, I left publishing, started working for a wonderful woman by the name of Dr. Peggy Jenkins. She wrote a book called The Joyful Child, which in some ways was the closest um, to, to how I you know was educated. I loved her and I loved that book. And she was good friends with Joseph Chilton Pierce, who um, is a man I had great respect for, who said, hey, you know, Reagan, you should check out um, the HeartMath Institute. Mm -hmm. They're doing some compelling work. So I went to my first retreat in 1995 and, yeah, and found myself working there a few years later um, at their headquarters um, where I had first learned uh, their method. And, you know, my life changed after that. I mean, I wasn't able to sustain, I I was able to sustain that consciousness for about three years. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the pull of, of life and um, lacking discipline, frankly, you know, not taking it for granted because it was all seemingly done by grace. It wasn't like I felt like, it wasn't like I had a spiritual practice where I quote unquote earned my amazing transformative shift. Right. And, the pressure to make a living and all the things, you know, all the circumstances. Um, but now um, through, again, something I haven't yet shared, I feel like I'm back, not quite to the consciousness I had at the awakening, uh, but certainly um, more disciplined in my practice. And uh, that energy of the divine is a lot more accessible now um, than it had been. 
Wow. So I, it, that kind of tracks with, you know, my, uh, my own experience that, uh, you know, I have, you know, uh, you know, openings of awareness, epiphanies, or like, uh, you know, moments of clarity and feeling love. But it, it always comes back to my job to discipline myself to maintain that or to develop ways of adapting to the world to let that flourish. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a, up to all of us individually that, I mean, d- uh, programs and practices, religions, uh, you know, different traditions have disciplines that can, you know, help us pull things together. But it really comes down to our own will that uh, what I believe, this is my personal belief, that it's, uh, that it's all about a flowering of who we are as individuals. This is what I'm coming to understand, that it's that, you know, we have these tastes, these, you know, these lures, and then we're, then it's up to us to really make ourselves grow into it. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think it's the point of why we're here. Mm-hmm. We can have those moments and establish new baselines of, of, of understanding, mm-hmm. but without discipline and without a disciplined spiritual practice, um, I think it's frankly impossible to sustain it. And, and I'm so grateful um, that I had, you know, just through circumstances over time, more time to dedicate because it literally saved my life. I mean, one thing I didn't share with you Mm. when I got here to my new place in Washington and again, pray and meditate every day. And in the quiet of meditation, I'm told I have to urgently go to a doctor. I'm like, okay. So I do. And what do doctors do? They listen to your heart. And uh, he looked gravely concerned as he did. He said, Reagan, you have a really loud murmur. Wow. I, I need to get you scheduled for an echocardiogram. Anyway, turns out I had a, a birth defect, a congenital defect in my heart, and uh, needed open heart surgery to replace my aortic valve. And because I had no fear of death, because of experiences I've had, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I truly do not fear it. I went into my surgery uh, with that consciousness and with such um, devotion uh, to my spiritual teachers. And Jesus Christ is is my guy. I'm not right. a traditional Christian, certainly, mm-hmm. but I felt like he really knew how to embody the love of God. And that's what he was trying to teach us. Okay, so fast forward, I get my aortic valve replaced. The sur- I It's on a Friday morning. I'm cleared out of the ICU the following morning, which never happens. And I'm home on Tuesday. And when my surgeon came to see me on Tuesday, and I'm like setting records in there, (laughs) he he said, Reagan, I don't have a clinical explanation for you. Clinically, there's no explanation for how you were alive prior to the surgery. It was the worst aortic valve he had seen in 40 years of being a heart surgeon. He he runs cardiothoracic surgery at Barnes Hospital in St. Louis, which is one of the best surgery centers in the world. And I think that's why I was guided to go home to come home. Oh. And I and I said to him, I said, well, do you believe in Jesus Christ? <laughs> I said, because that's the only explanation I've got. <laughs> he said, yes, I do. All right. I know it sounds crazy. It's the truth. A few months later, after I recover from severe heart inflammation that almost kills me, I go to a funeral for a dear friend who is a Christian mystic on Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, I look at my scar in the mirror of my hotel room in Florida and it's chain shape. Really? And literally on my chest is a crucifix, is a cross. 
And I went to show my surgeon when I had my, you know, follow up with my cardiologist and I'm in perfect health, by the way, I'm not even on, not on any medicine. Everything's great. And I asked if Dr. Damiano was in the office that day, because it was Tuesday. And I remember that was his office day. He said, yes. Turns out he was right across the hall. I go to see him. I pop my head and I said, Dr. Damiano, it's Reagan. And he goes, oh my God, you look amazing. I said, thank you. And we get to talking and I remind him, you know, of our conversation. He goes, Reagan, you don't need to remind me. Of course I remember. I said, well, I have something I need to show you. And I move my blouse down to reveal my cross and he starts to cry. Wow. Wow. And then all the other surgeons that are in this office, because they're all charting on these workstations and the vibe is very serious. They stand up, they're all encircling me and now their eyes are filled up and he looks at them and he goes, have you ever seen anything like this? And they nod their heads. No. And he said, well, Reagan, that's another miracle because there's no horizontal cutting. That's phenomenal. It really yeah. is. <laughs> so, wow. um, yeah, we're surrounded by by help. And in prayer and in meditation, if you can clear out the noise within you and ask for help, there's so much that will be generously given. Um, I certainly know that and have lived that. And the reason I'm writing my book, Tragic Magic, it's, it's with my editor right now, mm-hmm. is to share my story that ends with that scene with my surgeon with the hope that people um, get inspired and, and, and feel courageous and know that they can heal from their traumas. Cause we all have trauma. There's yes. not a single one of us that exists without it. And there are things you can learn how to do. And so my book is telling my story while also teaching people some of the things I've learned along the way that have helped me um, be where I am now. Well, Reagan, this is, this has been, an, an amazingly inspiring talk that I've had with you today. Thank you for sharing so much in, in your your experiences, and it's very inspiring. And uh, and and I'm going to be looking forward to uh, to your new book, Tragic Magic. Is that did I get that correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And and when do you think that that's going to be uh, published? Do you have a? I don't deal? know. Okay. So it's with my editor. Uh-huh. I have access to to an executive at one of the big houses and I'm just going to send it to him and see if he'll read it. Uh And he might say, I don't work that way. And so (laughs) my intention, if he doesn't agree is to find a literary agent and, you know, do it the grown up way. Okay. Um, So, you know, it's kind of in God's hands, but um, the book is done. I mean, I finished writing it. I'm sure getting it back from my editor in a week, there'll be, you know, some more to do. So I don't know, a year? I have no idea. I have no idea. It's in God's time. I in, have no idea. In God's time. Well, we'll, we'll, your public will be patient and we'll be looking forward to it. Well, Reagan, yeah. I want to thank you very much for taking this time to, uh, to talk with me today. And it's, uh, I, again, it's been really, really wonderful. I just l- love talking with you. And I would like to talk with you some more another time, perhaps, because it's been inspiring. Well, thank you, Alan, and I'd be happy to talk with you anytime. <laughs> There's, yeah, a lot more I could share, but um, I think we 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 had a beautiful conversation, and I'm so grateful to have the opportunity um, to speak to you today. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Why don't we?
And that is all for this episode of Audible River. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, or if you'd like to uh, email us, you can reach us at audibleriverpodcast at gmail.com. And thank you for listening.